Chapter Fifteen of Moral Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Moral Tales by Elizabeth Charlotte Pauline Guizot. Chapter Fifteen: The Little Brigands. Peter, Jacques, Louis, Simon, listen, listen! Cried Antony to his companions, a set of little vagabonds belonging to the village of Marcieux, who were playing at quoits upon the village green a post-chaise had just passed by from which had been thrown a paper containing the remains of a pie antony had immediately seized it it chanced to be the journal de l'empire of the twenty second of february eighteen twelve and as he was able to read for he was the son of the village schoolmaster he had discovered while eating the crumbs which it contained the following paragraph berne january twenty sixth eighteen twelve a certain number of students of the second and third classes of our college between the ages of twelve and thirteen years who had read during their hours of recreation romantic tales of brigands formed themselves into a company elected a captain and officers and gave themselves the names of different brigands they had secret meetings in which they smoked held their orgies and bound themselves by oath to preserve secrecy in all their operations etc this was what he wished to read to his companions oh brigands brigands they all exclaimed after having heard it that's capital let us all be brigands charles will you be one they cried to the cure's nephew who was coming up at the time what is it what is it oh yes i don't mind said charles without knowing what they wanted charles was a good boy but he had one great fault and that was disobedience to his uncle the cure who had forbidden him to associate with the other little boys of the village almost all of whom were mischievous and bad instead of obeying this order he stopped whenever he could find an opportunity to play with one or other of them he even made appointments to meet them at different places through which he would have to pass when his uncle sent him out on any commission when in their company they led him into many follies which he did not willingly commit but he was unable to resist their persuasions he was very angry when he saw them throw stones to bring down the fruit or walk in the fields of ripe corn or spoil the asparagus beds on these occasions he declared he would never play with them again but he invariably returned nevertheless he now said he would be a brigand because he thought it was a game it was first determined that they must have sticks they therefore ran to a heap of faggots and drew out from it some of the thickest branches charles urged in vain that these faggots belonged to his uncle the cure who had purchased them that morning they replied that brigands were not afraid of cures and that all the cures in the world had only to come to them and they would find their match charles laughed at all these follies and simon the one of whom he was most fond because he was gay and good-natured although a very naughty boy having selected a stick for him he took it then they began brandishing their sticks raising their heads and assuming as wicked an expression as they possibly could after which they began to deliberate on what was to be done next we must first of all swear that we are brigands said antony and then added he referring to the paper then we'll steal everything we can find and we'll hold our orgies we'll steal repeated charles who was beginning to find this rather an extraordinary kind of game 
certainly since we are brigands i won't steal oh you'll steal you'll steal cried all the little boys you are a brigand so you must steal i will not steal what does it signify for us said simon who was always anxious to accommodate matters if you won't steal so much the worse for yourself that's all yes if you are such a fool said the others so much the worse for yourself you'll get nothing but what is the meaning of holding orgies said one of the troop charles explained that it meant to get tipsy ah yes and to smoke too said antony again consulting his paper we will go together to the tavern of course they'll let you go there said charles oh brigands are not afraid of anything and besides no one will know it we'll go to troux that's a league from here brigands don't want leave they just do what they please and set every one at defiance and the little wretches again brandished their sticks in the air with greater fierceness than before come said antony we must swear that we are brigands nonsense said charles let us leave off this stupid game and play at quoits simon come and play at quoits i owe you a revenge you know and simon was willing enough to go and have his revenge but he was withheld by the others who told him he must take the oath and that charles might go if he liked because he was a fool charles ought to have gone nevertheless he remained antony said they must have some wine and as he had been reading history in an old latin and french book which his father used in teaching latin he said that they would do as the conspirators of former times had done that is they would put a little of their blood into the wine and afterwards drink it and then they would be bound to be brigands all their lives this they thought would be delightful but how shall we get blood said one of them oh we must prick our fingers said another i have a large pin which fastens my trousers they agreed to make use of the pin each one determining in his own mind not to go very deep but they wanted some wine this was a great embarrassment they asked louis who was the son of the wine merchant to go and steal some from his father's cellar louis replied that he would not go in the daylight for fear of being seen and beaten they said that for a brigand he was very cowardly still none of them would go in his stead at length simon who was the most daring went and begged some of the innkeeper's servant who liked him because when he met her in the streets heavily laden he assisted her in carrying her jugs she gave him a little that remained at the bottom of a measure and he carried it off triumphantly in an old broken sabot into which he had poured it antony was the first to prick his finger but as he felt it hurt him he said that it bled quite enough although it did not bleed at all the others then pretended to prick their fingers and they shook them very much as if they really had bled a great deal charles alone refused to imitate them and jacques struck him violently with the pin and caused the blood to flow he was very angry and fought with jacques simon took his part and beat jacques charles being in a rage wanted to upset the wine which was in the sabot but the others prevented him and told him he refused to drink and take the oath because he was a traitor and wanted to inform against them even simon himself said that if he did not drink with them it would prove that he was a traitor this was painful to charles especially as simon had just been defending him you promised to be a brigand they all cried charles assured them that he had no wish to inform against them but that he would not be a brigand they again exclaimed with greater vehemence 
you must be a brigand you promise to be one and simon held the sabot to his mouth charles resisted but they asserted that he had drunk and therefore was a brigand he went away very angry declaring that it was not true however he did not long retain his anger against simon who on the following day waited for him as he passed down the street for the purpose of telling him to come and see a large sausage which they had found the means of snatching from the hooks of a pork-butcher's shop in the village charles at first positively refused to go but simon said so much about the size of the sausage that he became curious to see what it really was he therefore went in the afternoon upon the green where they were eating it it was indeed very large they told him how they had managed to get it their fear of being seen by the shopkeeper and the tales with which simon had amused him outside the shop while one of them stole into it all this made charles laugh and he so completely forgot the evil of such actions that when they invited him to taste the sausage he took a piece and ate it but he had no sooner swallowed it than he felt distressed at what he had done he immediately left them without saying a word and the more he thought of it the more he was tormented his anxiety increased after he got home for his uncle made him repeat the lesson in the catechism which on that day happened to fall on the commandment thou shalt not steal his uncle explained to him that those who took what did not belong to them were not the only thieves but that those also were such who bought without paying whose expenses were greater than their means who borrowed what it was not possible for them to return and above all those who profited by what others had stolen charles became pale and red by turns fortunately for him it was getting dark and his uncle did not observe his agitation he made no reply and as soon as he could get away he went and concealed himself in order to give vent to his tears at supper he ate nothing saying that he was sick and in truth the piece of sausage he had taken had made him feel ill he could not sleep his conscience reproached him with having participated in the theft since he had profited by it and he felt that he could no longer tell them that they had done wrong since they would say that however did not prevent you from eating some of the sausage he knew and his uncle had often repeated it to him that one cannot hope for forgiveness from god without at least returning the value of what has been stolen he would most willingly have given the little he possessed to be delivered from so heavy a burden but how was he to make the butcher accept it it would be necessary to explain everything and accuse his companions this he would not have thought of doing even if he had not considered himself bound by his promise he therefore determined to go and lay the four sous which was all the money he possessed upon the doorstep of the pork butcher's shop thinking that he would take them up supposing them to belong to him he passed before the door two or three times without daring to carry his plan into execution at last at a moment when he was not perceived he laid them on the threshold and ran away to the corner of the street in order to see what would happen he had no sooner stationed himself there than he saw antony come up who prowling about the shop and perceiving that its owner's back was turned stooped down to pick up the money charles rushed upon him to prevent him antony struggled and the shopkeeper turned round at the noise what are you doing in front of my shop he exclaimed in an angry tone for he remembered what had been stolen from him what does monsieur charles mean by lurking about here for a whole hour be off with you i do not accuse you monsieur charles but i don't want any one in front of my shop 
he ought to be accused as much as any one else said antony and charles in despair beheld himself driven away without daring to resist as he would have done on any other occasion he ran after antony in order to get back his four sous saying that they belonged to him but antony only laughed at him he dared not compel him to give them back for antony had over him the advantage of a scamp who laughs at everything that can be said to him while charles did not possess that of an honest man which consists in having nothing to conceal for his conduct had not always been irreproachable as he stood there sad and ashamed jacques and simon happened to pass by oh said simon in a low voice we have got such a beautiful basket of peaches which dame nicolas was going to carry into the town and which we took from off her donkey while she was gone to pick up sticks by the side of the park walls we have hidden it there in the ditch come and see it no i will not said charles well they are not for him replied jacques he has had no trouble in getting them he is a cowardly brigand i am not a brigand said charles and i do not care for your peaches you were not so squeamish about the sausage though charles on any other occasion would have replied by a blow but now he was humbled and remained silent and jacques went away singing at the top of his voice to the air of c'est un enfant he's a child he's a coward he's a coward why will you not come asked simon simon replied charles who wished to reform him it is very wrong to steal and to keep company with those who steal that's all very fine but you did not think so yesterday but since then i have bitterly repented of it very well you may repent again to-morrow come along and simon who was accustomed to make him do pretty nearly what he pleased dragged him along by the arm no no i will not go very well don't come then and he pushed him rudely back i see very well it's because you won't let me have my revenge but simon how am i to do it i have no more money you still have the four sous that you won from louis and me charles related what he had done and what followed simon laughed so heartily that charles almost laughed to see him laughing however he became impatient if i could only make him restore them he said oh said simon brigands never restore anything but come presently and play at quoits upon the green since it is that rascally antony who has stolen them from you we shall easily find the means of winning them again from him no said charles i will not go very well as you like i shall win them for myself then as charles notwithstanding his misfortunes was rather more satisfied with himself he dined better than he had supped on the previous evening nevertheless he thought it would have been very pleasant to have won back his money from antony the following day was sunday and his uncle gave him the key of his garden desiring him to carry it to madame brassier one of his parishioners who was very old and infirm she lived at the distance of four or five hundred paces from the village and in going to mass had a much shorter journey to make by crossing the cure's garden than by going round by the streets charles set out his way lay near the green, and as he passed, he looked towards it, walking more slowly, and endeavouring to discover what his comrades, whom he saw there assembled, were about. In this manner he approached them, found that they were playing at quoits, and drew still nearer in order to ascertain whether it was Simon who was winning. 
the latter observed him and called to him inviting him to go halves with him charles at first made no reply simon renewed his proposal it was against antony that he was playing and charles therefore agreed forgetting that he had no right to play since he had no money to pay if he lost this idea occurred to him in the midst of the game and he became so terribly alarmed at the thought of losing that he could hardly breathe he watched the game with anxious attention and on two occasions he fancied he saw simon with whom he was to share take an opportunity while approaching for the purpose of measuring to push his quoit in such a way as to make it appear that he had won when in reality he had lost however he did not dare to say anything but whether it was for the sake of not injuring simon or for the sake of not losing he could not decide so much was he confused he won a sou and went away, still more troubled, if possible, than on the previous evening. He thought that Simon had cheated, and that from this dishonesty had come what he himself had gained, and that though Antony had stolen the money from him, still this was no reason why he should steal it in his turn. He would have been glad to have asked someone whether he had any right to keep this money, or whether, on the contrary, he ought not also to return even what Simon had gained, since he had not given notice that he was cheating. But whom was he to ask? It is one of the misfortunes of those who have been guilty of any disgraceful act, that they dare not seek advice, even though it be for the purpose of repairing their fault. Charles' conscience tormented him so much that he tried to distract his thoughts in order not to feel his self-reproaches. He therefore began running to try and shake off his painful impressions, but on reaching Madame Brossier's door he perceived that he had not the key of the garden. He imagined at first that he must have dropped it while running, and therefore searched for it for some time, but at last recollecting that he had lent it to Simon to measure the distance of the quoits, he went back to ask him for it. Simon, however, was not there, nor Jacques either, and the others declared that they had not got his key. Charles was going to run after Simon. "'Don't go,' said Antony. "'He'll come back presently, and you will miss him. Let's have a game instead.' Charles was just in a condition for committing faults. He did not know whether the money he had belonged to him or not, and it would seem that those who have had the misfortune of rendering their duties so difficult and complicated that they no longer know how to extricate themselves from their embarrassments are apt to abandon altogether the care of their conscience and become reckless so that they go on from bad to worse and thus deprive themselves of the means of repairing their errors charles played and lost not only his sou but four others which he did not possess Still, he wanted his revenge, but Antony refused to play any longer, and Simon did not return. Charles thought but little of this, so much was he occupied with his game. However, he had once inquired if Simon was not coming back. "'Yes, yes, when the fowls get teeth,' replied Antony, deriding him. Charles had scarcely heard him. Whilst he was asking for a last game, which would probably have again made him lose what he did not possess, Jacques arrived at full speed, and without perceiving Charles, for it was beginning to get dark, he called out from a distance, though in a suppressed voice, "'It's the key of the garden, sure enough. We have tried it, and are going to fetch some baskets.' Charles perceived that they were talking of his key, and saw clearly that he had been expressly detained in order to allow Jacques and Simon time to take it away. He was going to run after Jacques, but Antony retained him. "'Pay me my four sous first, said he. "'I will pay you them to-morrow, but I must have my key,' 
are you afraid anyone will eat your key no but i don't want anyone to go to my uncle's garden and steal his fruit as they did the basket of peaches and the sausage and he continued to struggle but antony kept him back there is a great deal of harm said louis in picking up the fruit which has fallen and is rotten on the ground but charles who knew very well that they would not content themselves with this struggled still more violently you will have to let me go in the end said he and then i will run and tell my uncle to make them give up his key and i will tell him said antony to make you give me my four sous very well let me go i will say nothing about it swear it on the faith of a brigand but i am not a brigand you are you are a brigand exclaimed all the little boys at once taking hold of each other's hands and dancing round him in such a manner as to prevent him from getting away swear it on the faith of a brigand charles stamped cried and made every effort to get away but in vain he was obliged to swear on the faith of a brigand that he would not tell and that he would pay the four sous on the following day that is to say he promised to give what he did not possess but his first faults had led him into a bad path and now he could not get out of it as soon as he got free he began to run as fast as he could in the direction of the house but at some distance he met his uncle who stopped him and inquired whether he had given the key to madame brossier charles dismayed and confused stammered and could only repeat the the key the key the key uncle have you lost it yes uncle said charles delighted at this excuse the cure was a good quiet man who never got angry he merely said very well we must look for it what uncle at this hour it is almost dark we shall have much more difficulty in finding it when it is quite dark and he began to look for it charles pretending to do the same they met antony and his companions who were returning to the village the cure inquired for his key they replied that they had not found it and charles filled with indignation heard them as they went away laughing among themselves and saying it will be found monsieur le cure it will be found he saw them running and felt convinced that they were hastening to take advantage of his uncle's absence to effect their purpose he trembled for his uncle's beautiful apricot tree so laden with fruit that some of the branches had to be supported but above all he trembled for a bebe a beautiful little lamb which the cure's servant had brought up and of which charles was passionately fond for it knew him would run to him as far as the length of its cord would allow the moment it perceived him would caress him and eat from his hand it was tied in the garden and if these good-for-nothing fellows were to take it away and hurt it the poor thing might bleat as much as it pleased without any possibility of the servants hearing it as the garden was at some distance from the house and only connected with it by a narrow path passing along the back of the church he could not endure the thought uncle said he in great agitation let me go if any one has found the key he might get into the garden i will put something in the lock to prevent them from opening it no no said the cure you would spoil my lock charles had already set off the cure again cried out to him forbidding him to put anything into the lock charles promised not to touch it and ran on and his uncle seeing it was getting too dark to leave any chance of finding the key went to pay a visit in the village charles reached home quite out of breath 
he found everything perfectly quiet. Bebe was in her old place, and came to lick his hand. He breathed more freely, but he was still in constant fear of hearing the little brigands arrive. What was he to do, then? He had placed himself in the most distressing dilemma in which a man can be placed, that of either failing in his word, or of allowing a wrong to be committed which he had the power of preventing. His uncle had forbidden him to put anything in the lock, but he thought that if the ladder which was used for mounting the trees were placed across the door, it might hinder its being opened. He had just begun to drag it along with much difficulty, when he heard several persons speaking in a low voice outside the wall and close to the door. He saw that there was no time to reach it with the ladder, and therefore rushed forward that he might at least push it with all his might. But at that moment the key was put into the lock, and the door suddenly burst open. Charles was almost thrown down, and he beheld the five little brigands enter the garden. "'Go back! Go back!' he said. "'Go back, or I'll call out!' "'Go and call outside, then,' said Jacques, pushing him out of the garden, the door of which he closed, after having taken out the key. Charles did, in fact, cry out and knock, but they threw a flower-pot over the wall, which fell upon his shoulder and hurt him a good deal. He saw another coming, and concluded that he could not stay there. Being obliged to go round, he made all the haste possible, though his fears made him tremble. He found the gate of the yard open, ran along the walk without being seen from the house, and heard Bebe bleating in so pitiable a manner that it filled him with terror. "'Tie it tight round her neck,' said Jacques. "'Tie it very tight!' Charles uttered a loud cry. Simon rushed upon him, placed his hands before his mouth, and, aided by Antony, retained him there, notwithstanding his struggles, while the others endeavoured to tighten the cord round the neck of the lamb, already half-choked. Poor Bebe, however, uttered a last and feeble cry. Charles heard it. Despair gave him strength. He tore himself from the hands that restrained him, and screamed out, "'Help! Help!' He was heard. The curé who had been looking for him, and the servant who was coming to take in Bebe, hurried to the spot. The little brigands saw themselves discovered, and fled to different parts of the garden. They tried to make their escape, but they had closed the door. The servant had already recognized and boxed the ears of two or three, whilst Charles, solely occupied with Bebe, untied her so that she could breathe, and kneeling beside her, kissed her, cried over her, and tried to induce her to eat the grass he offered her. After having severely reprimanded the little brigands, and driven them out, the curé and the servant returned to Bebe. Charles was surprised to hear the servant say that there were four of them, Simon's name not being mentioned. He thought he must have contrived to escape, but as he was walking along a narrow path behind the others, and leading Bebe, who was still so much frightened that she would hardly allow herself to be conducted, he perceived Simon crouched behind a large lilac-tree. He was at first on the point of crying out, recollecting that it was he who had placed his hands upon his mouth while the others were trying to strangle Bebe. But a feeling of generosity, and the recollection of his own faults, restrained him. He beckoned to him to follow quietly, and whilst the curé and the servant entered the house, he gave him the means of escaping through the gate of the yard. On being questioned by the curé, Charles took the determination of humbly confessing his faults, and of asking pardon of God and of his uncle, who treated him with kindness, but nevertheless imposed a penance upon him. 
Charles begged him to advance the little sum which he allowed him monthly, that he might pay Antony, and also return the money which Simon and himself had won from him, in no very honourable manner. He wished, besides, to give something to the pork-butcher. The curé consented, although he had a great dislike to see money given to Antony, who would be sure to make a bad use of it. Nevertheless, Charles owed it, and his uncle made him observe that the inconveniences of bad conduct often continue long after the fault has been corrected, and still compel people to do things which they very much regret. As for the money for the shopkeeper, Charles did not wish to give it himself, and his uncle approved of this, because there are faults so disgraceful, that unless we are compelled to avow them, for the sake of avoiding falsehood, they ought not to be confessed before any one but God. His uncle promised to give this money back as a restitution with which he had been entrusted. Charles expressed his fear that in this case the quarter from whence it came might be suspected, but his uncle reminded him that, as he had been so little afraid of suspicion in doing the wrong, he must brave it in repairing his fault, and that an irreproachable conduct was the only means of re-establishing his reputation, which might very well be injured by this adventure. And so it was indeed for some time. The curé, in his sermon the following day, having spoken against theft, without naming any one, and warned the parents to watch over their children who were acquiring dangerous habits, all those who had children were very uneasy, and endeavoured to discover what he meant by this. The servant, notwithstanding her master's injunctions to the contrary, could not help relating the whole affair. The little brigands were severely punished by their parents, who afterwards, however, asserted that Charles was the worst amongst them, as he had opened the door to them, and then betrayed them. The little boys on their side insulted him whenever they saw him. Simon was the only one who was not angry with him. Charles, when he happened to meet him, for he no longer sought his company, tried to persuade him to reform, and Simon made many promises to that effect, but he did not keep them and he became at last so bad that Charles was obliged to give up speaking to him altogether. Neither did he regret doing so, as Simon soon lost the good qualities which he naturally possessed, for there is no virtue that can stand against the constant habit of doing wrong, nor any sentiment which will not, in the end, be entirely smothered by want of principle. End of chapter 15